Welcome to the DPM podcast, where we go beyond theory to give expert PM advice for leading better digital projects. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ben Aston, founder of the Digital Project Manager. Now, we all know that the beginning of a project is really critical to its success, but it can be a really tricky time. There's lots of ambiguity. There's lots of confusion. There's stacks of disagreement and a whole lot of uncertainty. As PMs, it's our job to get the project moving and to keep it moving. And bonus points if we actually start leading that project in the right direction. But what can we actually do to make sure we do set sail in that right direction, that we start things off right? And that's what today's podcast is all about. So keep listening to find out how you can make your projects start right. This podcast is brought to you by Clarison, the leader in enterprise project and portfolio management software. Visit Clarison.com to learn more. Now, today I'm joined by Suze Hayworth. Hi, Suze. Hi. And Suze is one of our resident DPM experts at the Digital Project Manager. She works as a freelance senior digital project manager in London. And Suze, why don't you just tell us a bit about some of the projects that you've been working on recently? Yeah, so um, I'm actually a freelance um, PM. So I recently, a few weeks back, finished a contract, but it was quite a long-term contract at an agency. Um, but I had two kind of key roles there. So one was more of a program director role across um, an account. Um, so that was for Specsavers, which is um, a really sort of big uh, retail glasses brand um, in the UK. And they're also sort of in the Nordics and Australia. And that was uh, managing a senior PM and across sort of all the creative and UX uh, for digital spec savers. So that's quite sort of a big program of work. And then also I was working on an, a project for IKEA. Um, so that was a, a project to design and build a kind of prototype for a design system for the brand. Cool. So for so spec savers, that's more of an e-com and. Uh, conversion optimization yeah. type project? Yeah, so it, it really depends on the market, but they actually um, don't tend to sell glasses online um, just due to sort of certain regulations. So a lot of it was driving people to book appointments and sort of go into the right. uh, branches. But yeah, um, it's a lot of sort of conversion, you know, optimization, as you say. Yeah. And what was what was tough on those uh, projects? What are some of the challenges that you were dealing with with the project itself um, or the client or the team? Um, yeah, I think it's always interesting for people to hear <laughs> that yeah, other people definitely. have similar problems. So what was tough? Yeah, so with the Specsavers program of work, it was actually a really interesting time when I started that. Because um, I started that in March, which was sort of beginning of their new year. And we actually moved to a completely new way of working. Um, so previously, we'd been working um, as a design agency alongside their development agency, and we'd been sitting within all their scrum teams. So we had a pairing of a designer and UX sitting in each of their scrum teams across their sort of work streams. And we decided right. to remove all our designers and UXs from those um, scrum teams and kind of um, pull them out and sit them as one sort of team our side. And we then moved to more of a dual track process. So we were kind of running um, what we sort of called a discovery track almost um, above the delivery track, which was more of the um, sort of the scrum based development team. And so we were doing a lot of um, it sort of gave us the room and space to do the user testing, um, the sort of exploration, 
um, sort of hypotheses and making assumptions and sort of testing them with users um, and a lot more sort of research and data and stuff to feed into that. So it kind of gave us a bit more um, room for manoeuvre in, in terms of actually delivering things that the users wanted. So it was, it was a really interesting time to kind of implement that new way of working and make sure that, that was sort of up and running and getting that sort of through. Um, so yeah, that was, that was quite a challenge as well, but it was really exciting. So did you, so was your role then as the, I'm guessing, I'm guessing whose, yeah, whose role was it the product owner? So you've got these two parallel work streams. One is for kind of strategy, UX and design. Yeah. And I'm guessing they're the ones that are, there's, you know, user testing happening to identify user needs. And then those user needs are then prioritized and then some of those get taken to kind of a UX and design stream and then they drop down into development. Yeah. Is that kind of how it works? Yeah. So what we were finding is with the design um, and UX sort of pairing sitting within the scrum is that sort of working in the two week sprints was really, and trying to sort of deliver within them was actually quite limiting for them. And a lot of time was spent on the more sort of technical aspects of it so they ended up sitting on sort of long sprint planning meetings where they'd be sort of um involved in sort of a smaller part of it or they'd sit on you know stand ups and meetings where they were talking about bugs a lot um rather than thinking about the actual um customer needs really it was becoming a bit more sort of tech-led so the decision to kind of remove them from that and working on sort of almost a track sitting above that or so that we had that adequate time and it was still sort of quick turnarounds but we had that time to we'd kind of look at existing data um, or existing research or research that we'd done. Um, and then we'd sort of identify some assumptions and then hypotheses of where we could um, solve customer pain points, I guess. And then um, we could start sort of doing some quick, either sort of UX design prototyping, what sort of suited that particular need um, and then get it in front of customers very quickly and then they can validate that before it actually goes into delivery so that was kind of right. a way to um i guess streamline the build so we're not actually building things that customers don't want so we're trying to validate yeah. design decisions and ux decisions prior to actually going into the the sprints so yeah. and so we were still involving sort of technical um technical people in the discovery track but more in sort of just validating from a technical feasibility side once we sort of said this is what the customer wants and and they like this kind of feature we've designed so yeah it was kind mm. of in an effort to um, streamline the process but also a real push to delivering what customer need uh, what the customer needs rather than what can than what can be done yeah you know what I, mean? I think uh, yeah because I, I think this solves what is a a, ch- a challenge for many agencies mm-hmm. um, who are trying to do Scrum. Yeah. Now, clearly, Scrum is not the only way to do an agile project, but generally, it seems to yeah. be that that's the generally accepted exactly. rule that yeah, you have yeah, to yeah. do Scrum. But I think we have one of the big challenges that you'll find if you try doing Scrum within an agency is well, what happens? Yeah, what are UX and design supposed to be doing in the sprint? Are they? And there's there's one way to do it where either kind of UX and design or a couple of sprints ahead yeah. and of development. And then you're like, well, hold on, this isn't really, 
nothing's being finished. The idea of a sprint is that you're, you know, at the end of the sprint, you're developing something that's shippable and uh, that passes the acceptance criteria. And it's really hard to do that within a two week period to go through strategy, UX design and build of a feature. So I like this idea of, hey, well, let's just run them as two parallel work streams. And then as things are validated, then the product owner can then drop them down into, okay, the development backlog. So you have two different backlogs. You have a strategic kind of where we're asking these questions. Is this the right thing to do? And then we have a kind of, okay, we know this is the right thing to do because it's been validated. Now let's build it out. And I think that that solves some of the challenges for sure. Yeah, exactly. And, And like I said, it just means that you're actually building features that you have validated that customers want. So it, it produces a lot less waste. It's a lot leaner, um, which can mm. be a good thing, I think. Good stuff. Well, let's talk about project initiation <laughs> and yeah. um, actually starting projects. And I'm I'm curious to know for either the yeah, the IKEA or the Specsavers project, were you were you involved at the beginning or not? Yeah, those projects? so um, with the Specsavers, this new way of working, and it was a retained team, so it was um, scoped for for the year with um, a team shape. Um, so I actually started once that way of working had sort of been initially loosely defined, um, and also the scope of work had been written. So this is kind of one of the, I think, one of the challenges um, I do talk about in my article is is picking up something um, or a project that has already started or has already been scoped um, by somebody else. So so that one I kind of picked up quite soon after it had been scoped, but when the way of working had loosely been defined in a certain way and when it started to be implemented, I found that it did need sort of tweaking, it did need sort of shifting around right. and actually it did evolve quite a bit from what was originally proposed. Um because, you know, when, when you actually start working in a certain way, you do find things that don't quite work and that you need to tweak, you know, you need to adapt as you go along. Um, and then the IKEA project, um, it actually worked in, in stages. And again, actually, I, I didn't work on the stage one of the projects and came in at stage two. So it had sort of kicked off prior to when I started. And I think that's often the case with projects that we'll pick up as PMs. We yeah. kind of pick them up often not quite at the start um but this and that can actually add to some of the confusion right as a pm you're brought onto the project someone you know it's kind of been handed over from business development or the account management team or sales and you kind of inherit something that's been um kind of planned out but not fully planned out you know it there's some degree of um uncertainty so i think we can kind of imagine this, as we're talking about project initiation, I think it is as much about, hey, when you've been handed over a project at some point in the project or right from the beginning. Um, so let's talk about those things that you kind of mentioned in your article about the things that you need to manage. And you talk about uh, managing the people, the process and the product and getting kind of alignment and clarity on that. So that's kind of a who, how and what. So let's kind of touch on firstly, as you're kind of picking up these projects, you're either you're kicking them things off for the first time or you've been kind of plonked on the project. <laughs> um, from a people perspective, what are the things as you're, as you're initiating the project? What are the things that you're trying to do from a people perspective? Um, in terms of working out the lay of the land, in terms of initiating the project, so things set off in the right direction. Yeah. So. 
as, as I say, there's kind of a few core groups um, you need to think about or people within um, a project. And sort of firstly, it's around your team. So who's going to be working on the project? So at a project initiation stage, you're defining, obviously, you're trying to book people onto the project and defining who's going to work on it. So it's important to kind of think about not only sort of who's available um, and who's free to book on the project, but also who is right for the project. So looking at their skill set, looking at the ways they work, sort of looking at the type of project you have and the type of client you're, you're working with. It's really important, I yeah. think, just to, if you do sort of know your team members, to understand sort of who might work best and who might work well together on it. So, I mean, obviously that can be a luxury and it might be down to who's available, but it, it's a good thing to kind of think about um, up front. Because even if you are yeah. sort of having to use certain people on a project, you know, being aware of how they work initially can help you down the line if there are kind of any issues. So, yeah, it's thinking about the team who are going to be working on it and making sure, I think what's really, really important is making sure that the people working on it are going to be involved from the start. So from from working for years and years with um, designers and developers and QA, et cetera, people on projects, is one sort of thing I found most of them, if not all, have hated is if they're if they're not part of a project from the start, don't know anything about it, and then they're just handed something when it's already been defined and decided on, and they're just told, oh, can you just design this? Or can you just build this? You know, it's when sort of any kind of autonomy is taken out of it for them, and they're just told what to do, that it becomes quite a problem. So, you know, obviously with the luxury of um, having enough time and budget, it's a really good idea to even just lightly involve them from the start. So at the initial kickoff, internal kickoff meeting, um, you know, talk to them about how what they think about the project, you know, how they want it to work, what their expectations for it, just so they kind of um, get involved from the start. Yeah, I think that getting and I think this kind of goes back to the resourcing part of it. So as much as you can upfront resourcing the team that you need and want and getting them engaged in the project as early as possible. Say you get their buy in, because I think people tend to react a bit when they inherit, Mm. you know, as we do as project managers, when we inherit something that someone kind of thought about, but didn't really have enough time to think about it properly. And so they're like, hold on, why are we doing this? This isn't what I do. We want people to think, Hey, yeah, this is my thing. Because when we, when they've got that sense of ownership, um, they're, and rather than reacting to someone else's half-baked idea, uh, we tend to get a much better result. Yeah. Yeah, so I was just going to kind of go on to thinking about um, the the process because that kind of ties into it as well as we're thinking about, okay, so we, we've got our team, we know who our team are, and now how are we going to use that team to deliver the project? Um, and you kind of touched on this as you were talking about the way that things kind of started out on Specsavers, but there's typically some kind of disagreement <laughs> among the team about how the project should be delivered, about the process that you should be using, even the methodology and the tools uh, that you should be using as well. So what do you do to kind of align the team and to kind of navigate through that disagreement that, almost, that is almost inevitable? Yeah, so, I mean, you're never going to probably find an ideal solution for um, for a process um, that suits everybody in every single way. So you will get sort of tensions around that um, sort of whenever down the line of a project. So, yeah, I think, I mean, it, it, it depends really. Sometimes you inherit a process, your um, agency or organisation already has a process that you need to use on a project um, 
or the client might dictate it. Um, if you get the luxury to set it yourself, um, that's great because then you can try and find something that really suits the project you're working on, the client you're working with. Um, but yeah, so if, if you've got a project process, it's good to kind of get at an internal kickoff meeting. If you're talking through um, a project process that is already defined for the project, then talking it through and explaining it and why you're using it to the team members is quite sort of good. Get that sort of try and get their buy-in at least um, early on. But also sort of, I think it's really important to adapt process as you go along. So mm. you never try and rigidly stick to something if it isn't working. You need to be able to um, adapt and sort of move it forward. So, you know, making sure that your team understand that if there are issues that they have with the process, with the tools they're using, with the ways that you're communicating, anything like that, that they should raise it and be open and honest about it. And then, you know, you can look at ways that you can mitigate that and and adapt and move things along. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of flexibility, I think, is yeah. what's 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 the, the key to success there, because I think often um project managers or even teams people on the teams can be like hey no that's not how scrum works or no that's not agile um or no that's too waterfall whereas actually it doesn't really matter what it is or what it isn't uh what what matters i think is what's best for the team that works for the project that works for the client and it's i think the key is not being dogmatic about one way or the other it's but hey with the team that we've got with with the work that we need to do, what's the best way that we can deliver this? Exactly. And yeah. in some ways, it is reinventing the wheel. Um, but I think the reality is with the the projects that we do, and they're kind of they're all different. Uh, and so, trying to apply a kind of single process or uh, method for everything is is really really tricky. Unless you're doing some kind of maintenance work or kind of ongoing little feature updates, things like that, then it makes sense to standardize things. But if you're kind of dumped on a uh, yeah on a new project for a new client, um, I think it's you know it's fair game. Yeah. So um, thinking about then, so we've talked about you know who we've talked about kind of setting up the team and the stakeholders. We've talked about you know what we need to manage in terms of how about kind of navigating around process and being flexible. Um, but in terms of the beginning of the project, I think the what, what we're actually doing and what we're actually delivering uh, can be one of the trickiest things when there's, you know, you often inherit a very loose scope of work from a sales team or a loose set of requirements for the client. So what's your process of, again, trying to kind of clear away the, uh, the ambiguity around the project or the product and actually getting to, okay, let's agree that we're going to deliver this thing. Um, how, how do you get to that point where you you get to a place where things become black and white or at least less gray over what you're actually going to deliver? Again, um, it depends on the type of project. Um, ideally, I think you don't want things to be too strictly black and white at the beginning of a project because things change so much that you know you might end up with um something completely sort of different happening down the line so i mean i do prefer sort of scopes that do allow for change um yeah. do allow for sort of the deliverables not to be completely fixed up front but you know you, you can get projects obviously that are very fixed up front but in order to determine that you need to start having conversations and getting clear requirements from your client and so you know talking to them 
making sure that you sort of understand um, what their user needs are, what the business needs are, you know, and really understand the context um, for your project, basically. And then you need to sort of take these all these requirements and start sort of fleshing them out with your team. So, um, again, it's it's about that sort of team involvement early on and not just with sort of one person, but like involving a few sort of either discipline leads if you don't have your team set up or a few sort of um, members of your team and sort of talking to them through what the scope of the project is, what the requirements are and setting out some parameters for what it could be. Um, yeah. 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 And I, I found that in those, um, in those early sessions where we're trying to define what it is that we're actually doing, getting people into a room and kind of booking a half day session where we have a whiteboard and, uh, post-it notes and lots of things and just very high level trying to architect the solution. Cause I think what I try and do is get the team, get this shared understanding and alignment because at the beginning of a project, people tend to have different understandings of what things mean. And as you start drawing things out and sticking things on the wall, um, it it just forces these conversations where, you know, someone might say, Oh, well, I thought that that meant this. And someone else says, what? No, no, it's not that it's something else. And then we, we begin to hash out, um, or at least identify all these areas where the ambiguity lies so that we can then go back to the client and say, hey, here's some different ways that we could approach this. But I think that big picture view of, hey, this is the project and getting everyone on the same page um, and then, you know, taking a picture of that whiteboard and that picture of the whiteboard that, you know, that session that you have at the beginning of the project becomes something that everyone's like, oh, where's that whiteboard picture again? And it's like, oh, this is this bit. And it's that having that big picture view of how all these pieces connect together yeah. and what what we're delivering and kind of jumping ahead. So like getting us getting that overall architecture solution, um, at, at least putting a stake in the ground to say, hey, here's one way that we could do it, at least begins to kind of um, close the circle on, on where the project <clears throat> begins and ends. Because I think often uh there's yeah there's just this ambiguity of like you know how far are we going how you know how much are we doing here uh so beginning to block in the canvas with that and say okay here are the parameters for the project this is our understanding and then and then kind of going into that discovery process uh can be helpful when you know there's some alignment uh with with people as to what this thing could be definitely and also i mean i love workshops like that are great you know getting people in a room and discussing things and sort of defining things, even if it, they do change, at least like you said, it's a stake in the ground. But also doing that with the client is really good as well. It's a really good way to kick off a project, you know, and you get a much better understanding of where their mind is at in terms of the project yeah. as well. Um, and they can kind of see where you're at as well. So maybe having sort of an internal one first, but then sort of taking that to the client and sort of working with them in sort of half day or day session is, is really good as well. So I think one of the things, so we, we've, we've talked about, you know, the things that we need to manage, the, the who, the people, the team, the how, the process and the methodology and the what, beginning to sketch out the solution and the, and the architecture. Um, and with that as well, I would say, you know, we can also begin to sketch out the budget, the timings, the success metrics, like having this all on one big whiteboard at the beginning, even if it is going to change later, um, is really helpful. 
Um, but often at the beginning of a project, it might be that we're doing this project initiation part where we're trying to kind of architect a solution before the project's actually kind of been signed off. So there's this tension as to, you know, how much is too much? Um, you know, how far ahead do we go? And is your, I'm curious to, to know kind of your, uh, point of view on this. Do you do as much as you can or do you kind of, are you a bit more cautious and hedge your bets? And, you know, just do a lot enough to, to move the project on a bit. Cause there's a bit of a tension, right? We often haven't got complete sign off, but we know that if we don't do more work, then it's, we'll never hit the delivery date. So how do you kind of manage that tension of, you know, going, going too far uh, and at the risk of going down a rabbit hole and kind of getting lost, um, versus being cautious and then potentially, you know, putting yourself in a difficult situation in a few weeks time when you're not far enough uh, ahead as you need to be in the project? Um, I think I'd, I'd probably tend on the more cautious side, um, but just being completely sort of open. If the client is sort of delaying on signing something off or you're sort of going back and forth on the scope or something like that, it's just making sure they're aware of sort of any sort of time delays and how that sort of could delay the overall project. So just being aware of the risks of anything not being kind of pinned down um, and that you can kick off more formally. I would still say, though, that starting to push things along and think about things is good. So even if it's a cautious approach, like you said, it's almost like doing just enough to keep the project um, yeah. moving a little. So, you know, there's there's always sort of momentum at the start of a project, you know, when, when you're getting your team involved and you're talking about something and getting excited about what you're going to build or design. Um, and then if that sort of slows down and stops, you know, you can find your team members um, and even the clients sometimes become a bit sort of wander off, you know, into something else. And, you know, they're not as excited or, you know, they sort of get distracted. So keeping that kind of slight momentum up is good. So mm. keeping something going, I think, is good. Yeah. I mean, and let's talk about some of those challenges, because I think that is one of the typical challenges that we face. It's that a is a lack of momentum at the beginning of the project and mm. when there is that lack of momentum when people you know are told about a project and then it doesn't really happen um or because of some ambiguity or questions that we think we need answered the project kind of stalls um you know, what do you do in that scenario when you know things just seem to grind to a halt um, it's a difficult one um, because you might have sort of people like booked on the project already and then you don't sort of haven't officially got the go ahead and so you can't actually get them working for hours on something. Um, but if you kind of understand, if you do have some time um, that you can use against it, I think it's important to keep a bit of time in there just for the project team to be kicking off things slightly. So, um, you know, so like I said, so doing just enough to keep the momentum up by, you know, keeping them slightly engaged. And if it is background research, looking at existing data, you know, looking at sort of competitors, anything like that, just to sort of start that that thought process. Um, it's quite good to sort of keep them keep them involved on a sort of lower level until you can actually officially start the work. Yeah. And I think even um just having a meeting with the team, just a quick yeah. meeting can sometimes help as well, where you're like, hey guys, uh I know that we thought this would be kicking off this week. It's not kicking off this week, but here's the latest. And yeah, exactly. keep it, keeping the team engaged 
um, so it doesn't completely fall off their radar. Um, yeah, I mean, there's I something think, worse, I think, than just going completely quiet on something and then just sort of three weeks later or a month later popping up and saying, oh, great, now we can start, you know, keeping them involved yeah. in what, what you're talking about with the client um, in the background is great, you know, telling them sort of what's going on, if there is a reason for the delay, you know, when it's going to start, you know, what we can do in the meantime. So just keeping the conversation going. Yeah. And let's touch on, I think, um, one of the things that, I think a lot of project managers will face um, and that is, you know, picking up a project midway through. And so this is where we're kind of inheriting somebody else's, um, somebody else's plan for people process and product, And, but then it becomes our responsibility to deliver on it. Yeah. What are your kind of, what are your tips for, <laughs> um, you know, making sense of the madness there? Yeah, it's, it's, probably one of the biggest challenges um, because actually most projects you don't tend to be involved in from the very, very start, which is kind of at more at pitch level or, you know, um, when the sales team are sort of defining it, um, that often gets dealt with either by more of a sort of head of project management or delivery um, or sort of other members of the team. So actually a lot of projects that you end up working on do do come from somewhere else and do have certain expectations that have already been set. So often I found I'm working to predefined costs that have all been agreed um, with a very loose scope, um, but then having to sort of retrofit that to the budget. So often you will find yourself picking up that something that someone else defined. But so I think it's about taking those parameters that you already have um, and sort of working out where there is flexibility, where there is sort of room maneuver so if you have got um, a cost already defined for you you know then you look at the scope and you, you look at what you can deliver and make sure that's realistic even if it means um, a conversation like about it, if that you think that it has been oversold so if there is sort of you know too much for that cost you need to be realistic about things and what you can deliver else you're not going to be able to deliver um, so, you know, sort of looking at where you can, um, be flexible with things where you might need to have conversations, um, around scope or timings, um, to make them sort of work. But yeah, if you're picking up a project midway through, say, so it's already been kicked off by another PM. Um, I think the two sort of core important things to do are just to get as much information as you can about the project, about what's happened, about, you know, what's been delivered so far and the client, et cetera. So getting as much information as you can and then kind of almost resetting. So, you know, have another mini kickoff, even if it's midway through the project, you know, get your team members together, um, have a meeting with the client, you know, make sure you're understanding sort of that this is a reset point and you're sort of kicking off again with you. Um, I think that's quite important because even if if people feel like they've already done this once, you know, it's still a great yeah. way to kind of push on the project and to understand what's gone on and to understand what hasn't been working, what can sort of work a bit differently or, or what should carry on. Um, and it, you know, it doesn't need to take too long. So I think that's quite important. Yeah. Yeah. I think that reset, having, having the confidence to have a reset, I think mm. is, um, is a, is a, is a really powerful thing. Cause I think sometimes it, you know, you'll come onto the, onto the project and really not know anything um, to begin with. Um, but actually you beginning to ask these difficult and potentially stupid questions uh, will probably and, and nearly always open up an, a whole load of ambiguity about things that other people in the team also have. 
And so there can be kind of, as, as a project progresses, people start making assumptions again uh, that aren't often documented. And uh, although you can kind of start off, and we talked about this whiteboarding session, then pe- but people's understanding begins to diverge again. So having that reset where we're, you're like, okay, this is going to be a stupid question, but um, how does this thing work and how does that connect with this other thing we're building? Um, you'll almost undoubtedly kind of open up issues and things that no one's really yeah. thought of yet or challenges that um, that were kind of latent um, that needed to be dealt with. So it, it can be a really useful thing to do. Yeah, and definitely never be afraid of asking loads of questions. I've always kind of said that and I say that to new PMs, it's just ask questions. Don't be afraid of sounding stupid. Um, it's much best to ask those questions and find out what you need to know rather than sort of sit quiet and then um, have a surprise later on. So yeah, just ask a lot of questions. Yeah, I think that's I think that's such sound advice. I think for you know project initiation as a whole, um, I think the the art of initiating projects well really comes down to that communication part of it It, it's it's asking the difficult questions that no one really wants to ask and that everybody kind of knows uh it's a difficult question but it's it's having the confidence to ask difficult and awkward and annoying questions uh, because that's where you begin to get to some clarity and that's where that's where if you can begin to define things, the project's going to go a lot more smoothly and there's going to be a lot less wasted work or effort um, as people kind of begin to get this clarity around that North Star that everyone's um, heading towards. So, Suze, thanks so much for joining us. It's been great Thank having you. you with us. It's been great. And, being yeah. And as one of our DPM experts, Suze is going to be making an appearance in our upcoming course, uh, which starts in February. It's called Mastering Digital Project Management, and it's a seven-week crash course that includes interactive video lessons, uh, panel discussions, and the option of coaching sessions too. So if you're wanting to understand more about how to do project initiation better and kick off projects right, head to dpmschool.com and get yourself signed up before the course fills up. And if you'd like to just contribute to this conversation around project initiation and how we do that better, uh, comment on the post, but also head to the resources section of the digitalprojectmanager.com to join our Slack team. And you'll find all kinds of conversations about project initiation and managing projects there. But until next time, thanks for listening.